0: each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business sports or entertainment world to share their success their struggles and their lessons they will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone isabella facilitates an intimate vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership are you ready for your legacy the legacy that matters what would you say if we're living in the purpose economy times how your desire for impact, personal growth, and community can change and impact positively your community as well as the world. Guess what? Today's guest is going to share that and so much more. He is successful entrepreneur, best-selling author, CEO of a very successful company, LinkedIn help voice, and someone that we can not only learn about purpose economy, but also how can we find common and shared purpose together in times of tremendous change and transformation. Without further ado, let me introduce you to Aaron Hurst. Aaron, how are you?
1: Good, really fun to be here with you. Absolutely.
0: Welcome to Legacy Leader Show. It's absolute pleasure to have you here where we really uh, undercover and, and discuss topics that really are showing what what leadership is currently doing to make a positive impact and transformation and everything that i'm seeing uh, from your work really speaks the volumes first of all kudos and fantastic book that you wrote uh, and that some of my colleagues were raving about so for everybody again i want to make sure you guys know uh, purpose economy is available on amazon we'll get into that in a second but do you mind sharing a little bit about your upbringing first of all how you got to be so involved in entrepreneurship leadership and also to be so much on purpose
1: (laughs) um a lot of different ways of answering that question I think a lot of it for me my grandfather was a social entrepreneur um and he actually was in his 20s a naval officer and was one of the first officers in Hitler's bunk at the end of world war ii when it fell and we still have in the family the Hitler stationery that he stole from his desk and he made it his personal life goal to prevent World War III. And he went on and created the original strategy for the Peace Corps, um, was the head of the Aspen Institute for 25 years, and just was always sort of an inspiration around how do you combine connection and purpose? That was sort of at the core of what he believed would prevent you know, further conflict, is that we need to be focused on purpose, but we have to do it together. Um, we have to find that shared shared purpose. And then both of my parents were on a much smaller scale, sort of entrepreneurial. I don't think I ever used that word growing up to describe them, but they were just constantly dabbling in things and trying trying things. You know, my mom ran a bookstore. Uh, my my dad at times had like a mining business, an LSD factory. I mean, there's a wide range of like um, random entrepreneurial activity. Um, but I found with my grandfather and sort of the shadow he casts in terms of social impact, it caused me as a young adult to spend a lot of time just reflecting on like, what is the impact I want to make in the world? And honestly, it's it's equivalent of like, if you have a very wealthy ancestor who made a lot of money starting a business and it's like, how do I, how can I be successful when you have that? It's sort of the social impact version of that. So that caused me to spend a lot of time reflecting on who am I, what is purpose, what is meaning, what matters, how can I make an impact? And that really has been the source of inspiration for all the work that I've done, has been trying to do that personal work um, as a reaction to having that kind of a large figure in my life.
0: Wow, that is a lot of uh, there to unpack. Uh, what a history and what an opportunity to learn from your grandfather and your parents and obviously uh, start early on thinking about purpose. Do you mind defining what purpose means to you and what is t- what is purpose economy in your own words uh, and why so important?
1: There's a lot in that. So um, I find it's actually more important to talk about what purpose isn't than what it is. Um, In general, purpose is how you are uniquely meant to make a contribution to the world um, in a way in which it's going to be most fulfilling and meaningful to you. That's probably the simplest way I think of it. Um, What I find a lot of people think purpose is, is it's a cause. And our purpose purpose is not a cause. Um, That is not what it is about. Um, a lot of people working with causes have no fulfillment or meaning in their lives. Um, people think it's about a certain profession or job. We found that no job inherently is meaningful or purposeful. We create as human beings the meaning um, that we attach to a job, regardless of what that job is. Um, people think purpose is about something you know you can do outside of work. It doesn't have to be part of your job. What we found is statistically, we didn't of people who said they were fulfilled in life, only two percent were unfulfilled at work. So we really found that this idea that you can sort of have purpose in one area of your life and not others doesn't really add up with the way our brains work and psychology works. So really spent a lot of time doing research with leading universities like Michigan, NYU, and companies like LinkedIn, PwC, just trying to really do the most comprehensive research that's been done um, to that point on, like, what is purpose really? Um, Because I think a lot of what we have is sold to us, um, but it's not actually what it's about. Um, the purpose economy, sort of switching to your second half of your question, um, I had the great fortune as the founder of the Taproot Foundation to be able to work with the best in nonprofit sector, government, corporations, um, all around the world. And it really put me in a really uh, fortunate place of seeing where change was happening and looking at trends, not just in a given industry, but actually across a city, across a country, around the world. And I really saw that, you know, around the turn of the century, that there was a real shift happening in the way in which business worked and in terms of what people were looking for. And my uncle had been an economist in the 70s and coined the term information economy to talk about the transition we had made from agrarian to industrial to an information economy. Um, and his sort of hypothesis I found really interesting of like it's not about like a sub-economy, but actually there's these major times in our history where uh, we start to see a shift in where new value creation is you know I think the agrarian economy was very much about consistency of food on the table um, and being able to like use the land uh, industrial economy was when we started becoming global um that's when we started figuring out how to like build cities how to build efficiency um, into the lives of working where we had major breakthroughs in science um etc so that sort of helped us um in those ways the information economy. And you know, technology has helped us share information. It's enabled us to do things with information that were never possible before, right? Um, so we basically, I think of it as like a, um, there's all these things that enable us to evolve faster than nature would allow. Like um, the agrarian economy enabled us to like survive longer than we would have with food. The industrial made us stronger, like we suddenly were machines. Um, information economy enabled us to, I can talk to you right now, I'm sitting in Seattle, you're in Denver, like biologically that, I, my voice had never gotten that loud. So it's like enabled us to do these things. Um, What I saw was that the next thing people were looking for is meaning. It's like they 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 had these basic needs met in a lot of ways. They were looking for meaning and that the economy was getting to the point where that quest for meaning was shaping the workforce in terms of what people wanted and what they were willing to do, but it was also shaping consumer behavior and innovation. And looking at where major innovation was happening. So my hypothesis in the purpose economy was, or the question I was asking is, could this be the fourth era in our you know, development as a species is one on which our quest for meaning is the defining variable in value creation.
0: Wow, that is profound. And I love what you mentioned earlier, if we're so right about so many hypotheses, right? Why so many people are not happy and why so many people are still searching, first of all, their independent individual purpose, but also to be part of organizations where they feel that they can fulfill that purpose for making greater good. And it seems like all of those pieces tie very well together for all their ultimate purpose that... Uh, I from economic standpoint, we've seen so much shifts and changes, too, that sometimes we don't even know how is this going to play um, in the long, uh, long run. So from that perspective, I know you outlined some really great points in your book, but also uh, in some recent uh, posts that I've seen. You're seeing also things that are going to definitely change how we really interact. How do we live? What do we seek, right, on, on, on an individual basis? But also, how do we, as a result, going to be shaping that purpose and purpose economy? Do you mind sharing a little bit about some things that you're already anticipating and because you're seeing what is already changing and where things are going? Yeah, I mean,
1: there's a lot of different components to that. I think There's a lot of things that are in the structure of our society that are preventing people from being able to have more meaning in their lives. Um, the biggest one I would say is that uh, we've removed quiet from our lives and reflection. Um, yeah. What the information economy has done has made it so we just rarely actually have quiet. And the reason that matters so much is that nothing in life is meaningful. We actually are the ones as human beings, we're meaning making machines, we create the meaning. This conversation has no meaning unless I decide to give it meaning, right? So. The act of meaning creation is done through something called reflection, which is when you actually stop and be like, huh, like what did I just do? Did that matter? What was the impact of it? Did I enjoy it? That's when we're creating meaning. So if you're constantly listening um, to TikTok, on social, filling your time with Netflix, in meetings after meetings after meetings, and just go, 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 go from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, you're not putting time in your life for reflection which is basically removing the ability to create meaning in your life. Um, and that's the number one sort of thing that I think is broken, that people are wanting some way to fix. I'm seeing like a, a, a desire for that. I think the second one is the most important thing for people when it comes to meaning is actually relationships. And mm-hmm. COVID certainly made this harder, but we have really lost a lot of our ability to have relationships. I think technology has been a big part of that, right? And just how it's actually prevented us from having real interaction. People don't know how to interact as much anymore. Um, I think there's a real desire now for people to figure out like how can we actually restore human connection? Because without human connection, people are not fulfilled. It doesn't matter if you're doing high impact work, you're constantly growing, um, you're making a difference in the world. If you don't have meaningful relationships, you're not fulfilled like full stop. Um, So we're seeing a lot of sort of energy around, around that piece. Um, so those are just two like trends I see that are, especially younger folks, but really across the board, people are wanting um, more of that. And we also just see, I mean, there are existential crises happening in the world, starting with climate change, and people are just wanting to understand what their role is in all of that, um, as consumers, as employees, et cetera, And that's shaping their decisions um, out in the world.
0: Wow, well, that is so powerful because it's put on when you when you look at just the, just an average work world or it doesn't matter which company you're part of, uh, you're usually booked back to back to back. It doesn't even give you a chance an opportunity to pause between uh, the meetings or reflect on what you just heard and what implications that has on you or team or company, let alone decision making process in terms yeah. of relationships. Also, they're more artificial because we're so isolated. It's all trans-showing why we're having such a high rates of depression, suicide, specifically amongst actually quite mature adults today uh, because they don't see any other ways because they're having a hard time connecting, connecting in a meaningful way, as you just pointed out. And as a result, we're also seeing, uh, reflecting everything, how we interact not only in our own sphere but also on the global scale and could be in some ways really uh, scary, uh, but can be also an opportunity. I see always uh, these symptomatic issues to be also a great opportunity. what has, something has to get right? something needs to change. And again comes back to that favorite word um, that I love personally and I'm super excited to be able to talk to you because it's truly back to that purpose, why we're here. Mm-hmm. How can we apply ourselves in the best possible ways? How this can also benefit not just from selfish reason, individually, just for my own purpose, but how it actually can benefit others? What others can undercover and uh, and, and 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 what really need to we shift so that we can have not only reflection and great relationships, but truly actualize that purpose?
1: Sure, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, So
0: from that perspective, obviously, a lot of things are changing, but you created something to really help others, not solo entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs and just people in general who are seekers, you created some amazing hub to actualize and, and make that happen. So do you mind telling a little bit about audience that is not familiar what that is, what that looks like, and how does this really uh, springboarding and helping these multi-layer generations that we see in a workforce today uh, that are struggling. They are struggling how to interact with each other, but also struggling where to go with these desires and ideas and innovation and opportunity to make something meaningful.
1: Are you talking about Imperative? Is that what you're... Yes, yes. Yes. Okay. Um, got a lot of, a lot of projects, so just just um, wanted to make sure I was talking about the right one. Yeah, Imperative is a venture back company I started about 10 years ago. Um, and... What I had discovered was that you can actually predict the purpose of every employee in a company, that there's actually psychological preferences that actually define typically what one would think of as like a purpose or a purpose statement. And that if you could do that, you could really provide people with insights about themselves that go much deeper than your strengths or your personality, but really like what motivates you, what is the contribution you're meant to make in the world. Um, So we built out a, a profiling technology that enabled you know, hundreds of thousands of people to discover sort of their purpose, be able to have language around that. And then what we found was people said, that's awesome. Like now what? Right? Like now what do I do with this? And uh one of the things that I've always valued is coaching. And one of the things that always struck me as problematic is that often the people that need the most coaching have the least access. Um, people earlier in their careers do not have access because it's not affordable. And there have been you know, companies that have gone, you know, to help bring that price down like BetterUp and others that have helped reduce the cost, but it still was out of reach for most employees inside companies. And it sort of was this moment where I realized peers could actually be service coaches for each other, Um, that actually you could have two people with no training, service coaches for each other if you created the right technical infrastructure around them um, with the artificial intelligence that would enable them to know how to interact with each other and support a coaching dynamic. So we built out the first online peer coaching platform that re- truly enabled employees at you know companies around the world to serve as coaches for each other. And what was interesting is we launched it right before COVID. Um, and what we found was that the main value was actually not the coaching. It was that it built hu- human connection in the workplace better than anything that had ever been, that anybody could identify, because it got two people in a company to like really get authentic and real with each other over a period of time. And we saw people from different races suddenly like understanding each other, Uh, people at different levels, different generations, to your point. It it created this way of um, helping us find our common humanity together and our desire to root for each other. So it was really powerful during the pandemic, just as people were working from home, it became this way for people to still feel that sense of human connection um, in the world. So that was it. That's, you know, that's been imperative. I left imperative about a year ago. Um, It's doing really well. It's a, I think, it's the future of work really is the ability for I think peers to support each other in technology and it's going to be less and less about a hierarchy. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you for sharing that, and because obviously uh, you have so many successful ventures that you've been dabbling in, and really shining um, aspects of entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurship, well, so that so many people are still seeking uh, to find where to associate, where to, and how to apply it themselves. But you also did so many things that are also on the philanthropic nature. Do you also help with different foundation catalyzing? Uh, Different services and different opportunities for others to be able to tap into. So I'm curious when 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 you look at from all all this aspects from purpose and shared purpose, specifically through your uh, current venture and things that you've been doing, um, do you mind kind of highlighting and see for audience that are seeking, to really understand how is this going to drive future because right now as you said very clearly uh yes we have a point where not everybody has equal access or when not everybody has uh information or knows how right or or knows um how to build these clusters of collaborative efforts that can really drive this this impact and change that they're desiring
1: yeah i mean it's a big big question so um I think the, the number one threat to us now, I think overall as a society is a lack of social cohesion. Um, we're just, just seeing just a tremendous divide. And there's been countless books and articles written about it. I don't need to like pile on. I think we all know about that. I think the question is what can we do structurally in yes. society to address that, right? And you know, I like think imperative is doing that on a, in a certain environment at a certain scale around building connection. Um, my friend Shasta Nelson, who studies friendship, she's got a great framework where What we need are positive, consistent, and vulnerable relationships. But we need to do that on a massive scale. And we need to figure out how to build the civic infrastructure for social cohesion and social capital creation. And actually, one of the projects I'm working on now here in Seattle is this sort of idea of, you know, cities today have a chamber of commerce, which is really the advocate and community people really advocating for the advancement of business interests in a city. Um, We're sort of playing with the idea of a chamber of connection. Um, what if there was a chamber of connection in every city who measured social capital in the city and help coordinate and resource all the organizations that are building social cohesion, helping people make friends and build friendships, um, helping to bridge sort of different parts of the city and different perspectives, and truly like addressing that sort of core root problem in our society. Um, and I'm really excited about that as an idea, because there really is no, I think the church used to play that role in some places. Um, I think that's much less. So we need a secular model for building social cohesion and connecting people to purpose, Um, and I don't think it can be just technology. It's really got to be something that is local and highly, highly stakeholder-oriented.
0: That is so true. And specifically, as you mentioned, you in Seattle, and we're seeing some uh systematic issues that just even Seattle had never prior to uh or to extend that it's currently having. And then what what are implications of that if we don't uh, start addressing some of these systematic issues right where things go how far things going to go before we step in or look at for alternatives or or also uh, address as they say elephants in the room or things that we just accepted as a new normal in reality it's no normal and, and in reality it's not really serving anyone and it's just deteriorating more and more the city the safety but also community and all the tapestry of community that is present i'm just for one example yeah. It's- no, I think
1: that's exactly right. It's 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 just a rise in dehumanizing of other people. When you dehumanize people, you make very immoral choices. And I think we all are guilty of dehumanizing certain people in certain environments. And I think it's on all of us to like be, build the self-awareness to know when we're doing it and then check that and say, okay, I need to like put that aside and figure out how to have that real human connection here. Um, that's when you start to see, I think, the possibility of change.
0: And, and this is really uh, powerful because I know that so many people are seeking to be fulfilled in something positive. And a lot of people ask me, when Isabella, when you bring people on legacy leadership, we always look up to who you selected as a great exemplary leaders, uh, not only in leadership, but but also that are really carving amazing legacy. And of course you're one of those who's already living and leading uh, and obviously leaving tremendous impact uh, thus far. But I'm curious with everything that you've been exposed to over decades and with this thought process, what do you see uh, your next uh, focus and uh, sort of speak um, bucket list that you would like to achieve uh, so that other can see how it's possible to apply and navigate, as you pointed out, artificial intelligence and technology is one component to service, but it's also ultimately all about people.
1: Yeah. Um, so I'm in the sort of sabbatical year of experimentation. So I've got about six different ventures going right now that I was sort of working on at our various stages of development. You know, one's technology and AI related, one's more civic, one's more sort of around uh. Travel, tourism, and retreats um, as, as a model. One's, you know, focused on Latin America specifically and sort of geography. And another one's focused on um how do we increase the technical capacity of nonprofit organizations. So it's really like a, a lab of ideas. Um, most of them will fail. And I think that's fine. I think it's trying to figure out out of those experiments, like which are the ones that really have the potential and are something that I want to fully get behind um, for the next five or 10 years um, in my life. So that's sort of where I'm focused. I'm also turning 50 um, in six months. And I think as part of that, also just thinking about what do I want my 50s to be about? And I think as I, I've i made a lot of impact in my career and I want to make more impact, but I don't feel like I have to. Um, I don't feel like this drive that I have to like to do that. I feel like it's it's a joy and I love doing it. And I think I've underinvested in friendships, I've underinvested in certain members of the family relationships. So I think a big part of it for me too is actually practice what I preach and really make relationships a higher priority in my life over the next decade. So just trying to really explore what does that look like um, for me. And then I'm just naturally curious. So I just, you know, for me, a lot of the next decades is just about rubbing up against the world and seeing what sparks curiosity, what interesting people I meet and sort of having faith that, the right to opportunities will emerge out of that process. So it's not an um, intentional design process, it's more about following intuition and following sparks and excitement.
0: That is fantastic and it's such a beautiful way to really reflect where you've been, what journeys you've fulfilled and, and what is coming and where would you like to focus and spend And I feel like it's such a perfect also a trajectory. We are close to the end of the year. We're also looking how does year even play it out, right? What are we planning ahead? What is coming next? And what role do we play into all of it? Uh, and I love how you uh, break it down and, and look at from that perspective as well. And I'm curious, obviously, um, as you've been working on so many amazing, uh, with so many amazing companies and everything else, uh, you mentioned some of them earlier on, and obviously now that these new projects, you mentioned something very powerful here in a second ago, where where you reflected also knowing that you are putting the lab in place, focusing on different topics and specifically different uh, purposes, right? but not all of them will succeed. And the fact that you are comfortable knowing that they're gonna fail. Do you mind sharing a little bit philosophy around that? reason why, because we're still, as adults, uh, one of the top three fears of fear of failure. And then also from company standpoint, we're seeing that people are not even uh, able, capable to try just because they're afraid they're gonna be reprimanded around the failure itself.
1: Yeah, it's a complicated topic. Um, I think being raised Buddhist, um, I think a big part of Buddhism is about how um misery comes from attachment and being attached to things, attached to an identity, attached to an outcome, um, attached to a thing. Um, when you have those attachments, that's what actually creates suffering. Um, so for me, it's not that I'm good at it, but it's just it's a lifelong journey of learning how to let go of attachment because attachment just gets in your way of actually living um, and fully experiencing life. So that's been sort of just a lifelong journey. I think I still have a long way to go on that front um, for sure. Um, I think part of it too is just, in the past when I've just been building an organization, I get incredibly attached to an outcome with that. Um, And success seems like it's the only option. And like, I can't, it doesn't seem okay to have failure there. And what I'm trying to really experiment with now is, building failure into the recipe instead of it being sort of all in on one thing. Um, And it's even, I mean, when I've run organizations, like there's plenty of failure and there's like the day-to-day failure, there's failed products, there's failed marketing campaigns, there's failed hires. Um, I think there's just sort of a recognition that if you get most things right, you're like, you're you're doing fine. Um, I don't think it's about getting everything right. Um, It's just about trusting your judgment and um, learning from whatever it is you make a mistake. I think that can be hard in a culture that's punitive and it can be yes. a culture. that's not reflective. And it can be hard in a culture where like, I don't want my surgeon experimenting a whole hell of a lot. Like, um, <laughs> so it's not so failure is not, you know, we talk about failure, um, I think in a corporate setting, but, you know, failure in the military is not such a great thing. Failure in, you know, police work is not such a great thing or healthcare, um, and i can imagine just the stress of being in those professions where like you really it truly is life or death um and then i put that in perspective and i'm like our failures are not really usually the consequences are not that great we may want to make them sound great but that's usually us just building our own ego very true and i love actually
0: brought up those uh those industries because even them they could use a time to pause reflect and how can we do things better and how can we leverage triage and relationships that we have to have between complex pieces in order to actually uh you know provide a better service to uh, public safety or to do better uh patient care or prevent you know certain illnesses and diseases and you touched also earlier about non-profit arena obviously where you play some much. How can we really make sure that uh, the efforts and resources are going for the for the um, not necessarily metrics and measurable results that we typically see right in corporate arena, but that we truly are making again back to that impact, right? And then how is this really making the shift that is necessary? How is this uh, again on the purpose and on the right track uh, for the greater good?
1: Yeah, and it's that, and it also just goes back to I think, with those professions. Burnout is such a huge issue. And the reason people burn out is lack of reflection because they're not processing their emotions and they basically start to fester. Um, and you, I talk to a lot of people like in healthcare that are doing work that you're like, oh my God, that's such purposeful, amazing, high impact work. They don't feel it at all because they're so burnt out because they haven't built the processes to store their and in- process emotion. And we generally don't allow that um, in our society nearly em- enough. Um, I don't know if a study has been done on it, but uh, anecdotally just like, the people I've worked with, the amount of trauma that people experience in the workplace is even in an office setting. Um, we don't help people process it. I mean, a salesperson who loses a deal they've been working on for six months, like that is a small T trauma. Um, when an employee that is a friend of yours is let go, like that is psychological trauma. When you build yeah. a product or write code that doesn't get used, that's trauma. Um, we have all this trauma that's happening to us. And we, if we don't process it, that's what burns people out and creates those toxic cultures. Um, We just don't have that EQ, I think, in organizations yet, but hopefully it's getting better.
0: I love that you mentioned that and you're right, looking from cultural shifts and needs, how many cultures there used to be or great legacies or companies with great brands that went in recent years uh, in downward pattern instead of upward in terms of their culture and in decision and in terms of their leadership, which brings back, again, all these points uh, that we were talking about, how important it is to have leadership that is empathetic, that is also very strong with emotional intelligence and and EQ, but also social intelligence. I keep talking about this because we have intelligence, right? But we also have emotions. But we also need to be socially equipped to know who do we serve, who is also interacting with us, and how do we uh, do better so that we can also make sure and anticipate what some parts of the world might need or part of the organization because we're so diverse in skills and mindset and experiences more than ever.
1: No, oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So so in closing, I would love to ask you if you don't mind sharing, if for everybody watching and listening, that they simply don't know where to start or simply are confused and experiencing any of these emotions that we tackle in this uh, beautiful share tonight. uh, Do you mind sharing your recommendations, where to start, how to approach, uh, to be more purposeful, live on with purpose, and also make an impact.
1: Yeah, I think I mean there's two things I'd recommend. I think you want to focus on small things, not big things. Big things never get done. Um, first is just find a way to build a habit of reflection. It could be that you do it on a commute. It could be when you're brushing your teeth or in the shower. But that you're taking some time, hopefully a couple times a day, just to reflect on like what's been meaningful, what's worked, what's not worked. Um, what were my interactions like, whatever the questions are you want for yourself, but just building that into your day multiple times, it doesn't need to add up to more than like 10 minutes in the whole day. Um, it totally changes your level of burnout. It totally changes your ability to process and make meaning out of your life and to find the positive in that. Um, the second thing is I call a daily purpose dot and dot stands for do one thing. Um, so if you can just do a daily, like daily do one thing, that brings you more in alignment with what fulfills you, your values, um, and just make it a habit of every day identifying that one thing you're gonna do that day, that'll start to just build on itself. And it's not about creating wholesale change. It's about just doing one thing every day. Um, So if you're able to do that, uh, that's crazy powerful. And then I'll just have one last one, which everyone knows, but I just find it super powerful is find a buddy and do a one month uh, text um, exchange around every morning one thing you're grateful for that simple process of just doing that every morning with a friend or a colleague just one thing for a month it completely changes your mindset. It's remarkable how much of an impact that has, and it's just these things are all so lightweight. they're not heavy lifts.
0: Wow, I love those quick actionable uh things that can make a huge shift and change, and then also change behavior and change the pattern, right? Yep. because that's what we're trying to do,
1: yep. And then just try to be a good human out there and sort of put <laughs> all on us. Uh,
0: Aaron, this was amazing. And I would love to ask you one last question, if okay. I may. Obviously, as I mentioned, you have you come from amazing um, family and, and, and things you've been doing early on and what you've been already doing before turning 50, making tremendous impact on so many uh, companies and people and 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 just what you built and achieved so far, uh, so your legacy is already established so well. But I'm curious, what are you trying to do in, in next and or as they said, last quarter of your life or whatever might that be? Uh, and also, what would you like to be known um, based on your legacy, your own independent individual legacy?
1: Um, I guess just um. I think legacy is important, but I also think it's a. it's another, it is in part an attachment. So to me, you know, if I'm just was known as a great father, like that to me would be like pretty awesome in and of itself. Um, and a great husband. Um, I would like to, have, you know, be known for being kind and for someone who's creative um and you know cared. Um, those are the things that like I think matter most to me when I'm reflective on it. Um I think the last sort of for the, you know, as I look at 50s, 60s, 70s, and, you know, hopefully beyond, um, you know, I think, it has more to, like, I think it's more about internal work at this stage of life than it is external work. So a lot of my aspirations are much more internally focused, family focused um, versus needing to like climb a mountain or prove something. Um, I try to let go of those because the older you get, the more wisdom you have at those things don't, they don't really matter um, in the grand scheme of things.
0: Such a great reminder and again I I really appreciate sharing your Buddhist principles too because I remember exposure to Naropa University in Boulder and some of my Buddhist friends when I used to run torture rehabilitation center from all over the world and um, how important it is also that, um, as you called it, not attachment, but also just uh, being in a moment, right, and, and and really cherish and appreciate those little things that we often uh, don't really see till they become the most important things, which are moments with family, loved ones, and quality of the time together, so.
1: Amen, yeah, no, absolutely, that's, that's all that matters at the end of the day. It's going back to what mattered 5,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago are the same things that matter now. And if you focus on something that wouldn't have mattered 5,000 or 10,000 years ago, it's probably not something worth focusing on.
0: Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.